week we're discussing the ghost in the graveyard. I'm Raven, and I do not believe in ghosts. I'm here with my not-so-evil triplets, Wing and Dove. I'm Wing, and I do believe in ghosts. I'm Dove, and I aggressively do not believe in ghosts. In Super Chiller number two, The Ghost in the Graveyard, there's a new kid on the block. However, instead of hanging tough, he's a melancholy flower. After being spirited away from his birth town of Sweet Valley at the age of nine months by his adopted parents after his birth family was killed in a car crash, he's having bizarre deja vu flashbacks of all things SV. Of course, the Wakefields are dragged into this theatre of the absurd because they are the sun around which all drama revolves. Bizarre psychopathy drags this new boy, Sam, to a scary house and a graveyard. At the graveyard, he sees a ghost. Which is damn straight like Cupronol. The book does exactly what it says on the tin. The ghost looks exactly like Sam. Except it's not a ghost. It's his long-lost twin. Parents are told on both sides with varying levels of surprise. After a slew of adventures involving a ghostly caretaker, we have a terrible backstory about some of Sam's relatives dying at sea. One of these relatives was the 11-year-old Matthew, who died at sea with his grandfather 30 years previous, on the day before his 12th birthday. Guess whose 12th birthday is the very next day? That's right, Sam and his new twin. Sam's twin David accidentally goes sailing on the anniversary of Matthew's death, and is lost at sea in a terrible storm which is rather predictable. Thankfully, the ghostly caretaker turns out to be the ghost of Matthew's grandpappy, who proceeds to save David and then inexplicably gives the boy twins a house, because ghosts are masters of surreal estate. Ha <laughs> There's a party and a prank and many, many scares, and there's a librarian who's fucking marvellous. I can't sum up the ghost in the graveyard with a phrase, so to sum it up with a sound... <laughs> Thanks, Raven. You've rendered us incapable of speech, so... Well, that doesn't take much, obviously. Gee, and we were just talking about how funny you were. <laughs> I wasn't. You were. See what happens when you suck up to Raven? I wasn't fucking up, I was being honest, but now I'm just going to be pissy. <laughs> I like that. Do that. That's better. <laughs> so what did everyone think of this book? Wing? This book is weird. Weird? In what way do you find it weird? I mean, I'm not saying I disagree. Everything was weird. The pacing is weird, and the secret twins are weird, and the yes, there's ghosts, no, there's ghosts, and the ESP, and fucking twins. Why are there extra twins? I just want to point out, uh, before you level this as the weirdest of McWeirdison, there is a super chiller called Elizabeth and the Magic Pen. Okay, it's not that weird, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Nor is it as weird as Class Trip, and it was weird in a much more enjoyable way. But I sat there the whole time I was reading it, just shaking my head, going, this is fucking weird. I was not prepared. Yeah, I I do agree with that assessment, to be honest. It didn't feel like a Sweet Valley book, but I did enjoy it. It was, yeah, it, it was full of scary bits and rain for a start and and adults who were just horrible and i was like what's going on this just doesn't feel like the sweet valley we know and love but it was definitely a sweet valley i could come to know and love because i enjoyed it a lot didn't i tell you in jessica's bad idea that those gloves would be handy for a super chiller those leather (laughs) those thick leather gloves for the californian coast that's true i find this one odd as well also having read all of the other super chillers, that this one seems so external from the twins, like they're just a tag along to get the brand on it. Yeah. It's like when they make a movie and then 
just shove it into the sequel structure of something else. And you can tell that it doesn't really fit. Silent Hill 4. Exactly. The Last Boys sequels. Although, to be fair, Silent Hill 4 was agreed very early on that it, uh, that, that story was thematically similar to Silent Hill and it could fit in the continuity and they did a good job of marrying it up. But I do agree with you. Yes, that is something that was meant to be separate. Because um, the rest of the Super Chillers, all, they're usually from Elizabeth and or Jessica's point of view. So to have this be so centred on the new twins was weird and a bit alien. See, I didn't mind that. Yeah, I was saying, I'm sad the others aren't like that because I love that about this. It had just enough uh, Jessica in the secondary plot to be interesting and fun and entertaining, but not enough twins to really annoy me much. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, I'm touching on the B-plot. The B-plot of Jessica playing a prank on Lila I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I did think that it was built on a shaky foundation. Uh, Lila said something to that everyone thinks about Elizabeth being being a bit of a, a do-gooder and saying, "Oh, Elizabeth, she's the nicest girl in the world." La la la, totally taking the piss out of Liz, which is what we've been doing for the past forty recaps. So that's fine. And then uh, Jessica just became very panto verlingo. Oh, Liza, Li- Lila has desecrated our sacred friendship. I will have my revenge. But the revenge she came up with was absolutely wonderful. Well, my theory on that is that Jessica has a barometer of sorts where she can take Lila's bullshit up to a point and then she snaps and has to to do this to take all the pressure off. Like the hotel in The Shining, like you release the valve and she goes back down to zero and then Lila goes, I bought that new purple sweater that you wanted and it clicks up by five and, you know, it slowly builds up and, and so this is why Jessica snaps over nothing all the time. Hmm. To be fair, that sort of explains why Elizabeth snapped over nothing in the class trip where she decided to disavow Jessica because Jessica wouldn't sit next to her on the bus. And that's like, really? She, in the in the words of Wing, she's literally stolen the shoes off your feet before. <laughs> wouldn't that be a better time to snap at her and lose your shit? While we're doing callbacks to early books, how slack are the twins? They gave Alice four no-cooking Mondays for her birthday. Was that to replace the earrings that Jessica lost at the Johnny Buck Ooh. concert in book five? Must have if been. so, what has taken so long? I mean, that's 40 books. That's like, it's been Christmas twice. That's fair. One thing I would say, though, is, I mean, I have given my mother in the past, for want of better ideas, vouchers that I'd take her to the bingo, because um, that's one of her hobbies. That's, well, that is her hobby. Let's face it, that's her life, going to the bingo. And she hasn't cashed those in for a long time. So this could have been from birthdays before, especially if Jessica had something to do with it because she had no money to actually buy her mother a gift, which is one of the reasons that I'd give my mum these vouchers. Jessica's such a shirker. You just know that Elizabeth would have sorted it anyway. So Hmm. Right, but you saw what happened last time she sorted a gift. Jessica stole them and then lost them. No, no, no. I mean, like, St. Elizabeth would have gone, oh, Jessica gave you four no cooking Mondays. I'll do that. After all, I uh, I do the cooking already. And what's this, with, what's this with Alice always being tired anyway? It's like, oh, I've come back from my half day of designing people's interiors and now I can't move. Somebody else fetch me gin and make profiteroles appear. <laughs> fetch me broiled flounder. <laughs> what? Yeah, what is up with that? That's the weird thing, because... 
you know, she always makes breakfast, which means she's in the house after the kids leave for school. Maybe she leaves immediately, but even so, that's not a 9am start for her. Why not? What time do school start in America? Because they generally start... What time did they start in the UK? It was 9am, 9, 9. 9 wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I like how you asked me that you're like, wait, what time do they start here? I've forgotten. Uh, no, they start at 8 or earlier here. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Okay. Because it's it's 9am over uh, here. Okay. So I assumed that she couldn't get to wherever she was going if they're only a 10 minute walk away from school. Nope. Um, okay. Even so, she is there after the kids leave for school and then she's always home as they get home from school. So she is not doing a full day. That's true. I think she is just lazy as fuck. I think so too. I mean, how, how much effort does it take to broil a fucking flounder? I don't think she's super lazy, at least the way you guys always seem to, but I really thrown by this flounder thing in this book. Why? I just have so many That's whys. Ariel's best friend. You guys have. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a disgusting favorite food. I don't understand. And I like fish. I hate fish. I'm ambivalent. For, I'm ambivalent to fish, so therefore we we run the full gamut of fish love and fish hate <laughs> in this always. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what's broiling? I get confused. Is broiling like grilling? Kinda. Yeah. What, is water involved? Well, that I don't know. I don't think so. Like here, you usually have a broiler in your oven, so it's kind of like a much closer heating thing. You would put like cheese covered bread under it to kind of melt cheese the on cheese. toast yes yeah, so yeah. under, under the grill in this country yeah so yeah broiling would be something like that but it just seems like a very boring way to cook a fish is it very um californian probably we must eat healthy we'll have broiled flounder and kale and a side pot of disappointment even if it's not really that that's probably what they were going for Hmm. Uh, maybe not kale in the 80s but yeah probably whatever it was going for is that kind of healthy california kick fish yeah. and veggies or whatever yeah oh yeah. fuck off alice you're off your tits on gin Bro- all the broiled fat flounder in the world isn't gonna help maybe that's why she drinks so much gin because her favorite food is broiled flounder <laughs> maybe that's why she drinks so much gin because her favorite food isn't broiled flounder and she's just got to drink the gin to get rid of the taste of the fucking fish She's just accidentally one day said, yeah, I really like broiled flounder because she was a bit pissed. <laughs> and they've made it for her every Monday since. <laughs> She's like fucking flounders again. There's a local fishmonger who's like, oh, I love the Wakefields. They bring me so much business. Like you and buying your mum that, that packet of salt. That was slightly different. For reference, listeners, um, I, my mum used to, when I was going to school, um, my mum used to give me one pound for my dinner every day. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. And the dinner that I would buy would be a number of sausages, chips and gravy, or a pie, chips and gravy, basically chips and gravy with a thing. And I'd always have seven pence change from the pound. And I could have taken this seven pence home to my mum and gave her the change. I could have kept it and then maybe after a week bought a Mars bar or something. But what I instead did, by the bus stop home from school, there was a grocers that sold things by the pound in big vats that you could shovel out of the vats and weigh the, the, the ingredients. And one pound of salt cost seven pence. So every day for the best part of 18 months, I came home with a pound of salt for my mother. <laughs> and at first she was like, what have you brought me this fucking salt for? I don't need this salt. I was like, oh, well, just put it in the side. We'll use it. 
And it, it was one of those things that was amusing, then not amusing, then very irritating, and then amusing again. Because after you've done it for seven months, <laughs> it's just something that's just going to carry on forever. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, after 18 months, they either changed the price of chips and gravy at the canteen so I didn't have seven pence or more anymore, or they changed the price of salt and it was nine pence and I couldn't afford a pound. So I stopped. I mean, mum was happy. <laughs> or oh, your mum went into the grocers and went, look, just stick an extra penny on the fucking salt. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you this 300 weight of salt back. It doesn't go <laughs> off. It's just been sat in the cupboard. You can have all this salt back. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Anyway, we actually have things to talk about about this book. Why are know, we just waffling we immediately? We like this book. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'll say about the book is the first time I read it, like when I was like 11 or whatever, I misread the surname used in the B plot, which is Lillian Barnes, and the surname in the A plot is Burroughs. And I completely mixed them up. And I was under the impression, for some reason, I'm not quite sure how 11-year-old Dove made this collection because it's clearly not there in the text at all that Lillian Barnes was their mother. I'm like, I read it now as an adult. I'm like, fucking hell, 11-year-old me was an idiot. <laughs> well, I think you'll find that Lillian Barnes was this woman from the uh, the book of Notorious Women of Sweet Valley. Yeah. But their great aunt was Lillian Burroughs. Ah. And I was a bit peeved at the time because I read that and went, Lillian, haven't we... S- heard of a Lillian B and I got a little confused so there was a tangential link to the name Lillian which yeah. could have set the 11 year old dove off yeah that's so probably where I got give it you from a pass then. on that one okay yeah that was just baffling like to 11 year old me when I, I think when I read it again obviously I was like all oh, right okay stupid I was being stupid <laughs> but well the B plot um for everyone who is reading is listening along and hasn't read the uh the recap or the book yet the B-plot revolved around Jessica as, as a revenge plan for, mocking, for Lila mocking Elizabeth, convincing Lila that she was the reincarnation of someone called Lillian Barnes, who she'd looked up in a book called Notorious Women of Sweet Valley, which I am absolutely sure will have an entire chapter dedicated to Jessica at one stage of its publication history, um, convincing her that that, she, that Jessica was the reincarnation of this Lillian who had had some gold stolen from her. And Lila's avarice came out going, oh, we can find the gold. If you're the, if you're the reincarnation of this woman, the gold's never been found. We can, we can find it. And Jessica led her on a merry dance and then eventually got her to dig up a planted box with a note in saying, you've been fooled, Lila. Ha ha. And it was, uh, it was very well, very well done. Yeah, it was good fun. I liked that plot. I did too. There's some great details in it too. When Jessica goes to hide the box, she gets all creeped out and freaks herself out because of this haunted house that's been run throughout the A-plot. Every time that she starts to get ready to tell Lila that it's actually just a joke, Lila says something that annoys her, and so she kicks off into a higher level of this prank. It was a ton of fun. And kind of heartbreaking, too, which Raven makes really good points on in his recap. So do you want to talk about the heartbreak a little bit? Yeah, um, I think there was a two-pronged heartbreak for this. Early on in this plot, Lila's having a sleepover at Jessica's uh, at the Wakefield compound. 
and she's asleep on Jessica's floor next to Jessica's bed in her room, which I immediately thought, no way Lila would do that. That's not Lila's style. She'd demand a room of her own or at least a bed of her own. She might even have Jessica sleeping on the floor. But then I thought, and I, I thought, well, actually, I think she would because she's lonely. She, she's living in a house with a housekeeper, no, no parents to, to name. And it's all a facade. And Jessica is her best friend. We, have, we do know this, and it is realised in books like The Older Boy, where their friendship really comes through strongly. So this Lila in this book, to me, was someone who would do these things to be friends with Jessica and to share those normal things that she's not really party to when she's always swanning off to Paris or, or doing the posh things. And so later on, when she discovers that Jessica's been pranking her, all this time and she was very excited and going on adventures with Jessica and and really being into it I think the actual phrase in the book is Lila's face went red and she went quiet for a bit and then she said it's the meanest thing you've ever done and ran away and usually I'd be like haha go Lila that's funny because the normal Lila we have is quite hard and quite it's got quite a, a strong external shell but I think they established in this or at least the version that I saw of Lila she was a lot more vulnerable so I, I really did feel for her when she went. Well, we do love Lila in the most ordinary of circumstances because she is brilliant at, at just being a bitch in such a in a book where no bitchery is really allowed. She does get these witty put downs, and then you see her being vulnerable, and you're just like, "Oh, I want to adopt her," and like you know, show her actual affection. Bless her. Although she'd pre hire mercenaries to kill us because we're not you know, rich. But we are European. <laughs> On the other side of the Lila, there's also some really great usual peak Lila moments. My particular favourite was when she was talking about ghosts and having seen a ghost. <laughs> where she was staying in a European mansion and apparently saw a ghost floating on the ceiling. A ghost, And she was describing this in the unicorn to her usual cohorts. And she was saying... Yes, there was a ghost of a man who'd been killed in this room. And what he did, he he was taking his revenge on all the people who slept in the room after his death, and he would kill them. And I think it was either Ellen or Tamara that said, well, wow, Lila, what did you do? And she went, well, I, I got the servants to move me to another bedroom. There was 23 of them, after all. And that was just absolutely <laughs> perfect. Just so Lila. Very, very impressed with that. Oh, Lila's just awesome. She is. I sometimes struggle to be sympathetic because it feels very poor little rich girl, but she managed to be both snarky, kind of cold, perfect Lila and sympathetic, kind of soft Lila. And, you know, to be fair, that probably is the meanest thing Jessica's ever done to her. Obviously, we see a lot of Jessica being kind of shitty to everyone else, but she tends to be very careful of Lila. Yeah. That is very true. That is very true. So we like Lila. We like the B plot. Let's discuss the A plot a little more. So, the first appearance of the ghost in the graveyard. How did that get to people? Because I was proper surprised by that. I'll not lie. I was reading this thinking, well, we're in the graveyard now. A ghost's going to appear. And a ghost did appear. And then it just looked like Sam. And I was like, I think my phrase was, what the actual fuck? When I was reading it, I was like, hey, it was massively surprising. I mean, it didn't take me long before I figured out what it was, but... It was definitely a direction I didn't think the book was going in. 
I read it when I was really young, so I have no idea what my initial thoughts were back then. Of course. So, Fair. Over to Wing. I liked the scene a lot. It's kind of, there's some delightful, creepy moments in this that they're not super scary to me, but I thought that they were well written. They had kind of that gothic horror feel to them throughout the book, from the storms to the old house. I did not clock that it was going to be a surprise secret twin. I definitely thought it was tied more to a real ghost that was, you know, the, his ancestor who of course looked just like him because that's how these things go. And I thought that was a lot of fun. Also, I've kind of been expecting real ghosts and things because in all of the run up to starting to recap these stuff kept promising me real supernatural creatures. So I'm always excited when there's a chance for it. To be fair, I, I do agree with that at first. It, it wasn't an immediate, oh, this is his twin when he appeared, because it was, he did appear over the grave of Matthew mm-hmm. Burroughs, who we learn later was the 11-year-old boy who died at sea with his grandfather, Peter. And who does, in fact, look rather like them. So Yes, yes. So when, when you're learning about this 11-year-old boy, and I think Sam posited at the time, like, oh, I wonder what he did. Did he like football like me and so on, which is quite cute. So I didn't realise it was a twin until... The following day, when they all went back and the, the ghost appeared again, Jessica ran after it. Yeah, well, yeah, Jessica ran after it and went, stop. And it stopped. I'm like, well, that's obviously not a ghost then. If it's just going to go, what? <laughs> it's going to turn around and go, woo, and scare her away. No. So as soon as it stopped, I was like, yeah, okay. That's definitely not a ghost then. And then it immediately clicked. It's got to be a twin. You could have taken it that Elizabeth just has that kind of control over ghosts that she can order them to stop. But considering <laughs> how much you guys hate Elizabeth, I'm pretty sure you don't go there. <laughs> well, no. We know that Elizabeth can do anything, but she's not the fucking ghost whisperer. She might be. You don't she know. Might she yeah, might be. Yeah, Sweet yes. She can't even control Jessica, and Jessica's alive. <laughs> <laughs> no one can control Jessica. <laughs> I just had a terrifying thought. You know, like how Buffy ended in season seven, and every slayer across the world got activated. Yeah. I know at least one of them was a Wakefield twin. Yes. Got to be Jessica, surely. <laughs> I mean, that's all you need. A serial killer given superpowers. Oh, <laughs> I want to write that. That's a crossover we could do. Yeah, you should write that wing because I Yeah. I do lots of writing and that is your wheelhouse. That is my favorite, favorite fanfic trope, or it was for a long time, just to write slayers in every fandom ever. Yeah, huh. do that, do that. All right, I'll do that. Fantastic. Okay. Excellent. All right. (laughs) Uh, Back to the book. Sorry, I didn't mean to. It just hit me when you guys were talking about control. I was like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when we established that it wasn't the ghost in the graveyard and they went back with Sam and David to Sam and David's parents, obviously Sam's parents knew nothing about this, which is fair. But David's parents did. And then they had the whole explanation of of why this whole thing came about, which involved, obviously, the birth parents of the twins dying, custody of the twins going to the great aunt, and the great aunt realising that she couldn't look after both of them. So she put one of them up for adoption, but didn't tell the lawyers about who, uh, that there was a second twin, or sorry, that there was a twin. Because she was scared that uh, if any potential parents found out that they were up adopting one baby who was an identical twin, they would obviously want the matching set. And it's like, fuck you, Aunt B. 
you're a pair, you're a piece of shit. You are putting your needs above the child. And if there's one thing I hate, it's a guardian who doesn't look after their child. And then she fell, Ambi fell down the stairs and went, nah, one child's too much for me. I've got to farm that one off as well. Um, the, the question I'd have about that, uh, I don't really know much about the adoption process. but Especially in the US where it's different to the UK. Oh, I'm sure. As well. But I presume lawyers were involved with the original custody deal. I usually, yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like it, yes. So, I'm, I'm, obviously, there's the prospect that they are different lawyers than the ones that arranged the custody for the great aunt, aunt great aunt Lillian, or whatever her name was. Great aunt B. Lillian was someone else entirely. But even if they were different lawyers, surely in order to process the adoption of a child from that household, they would have to investigate what relation the great aunt was to the child and then would see the records about the original custody of the twins being handed to her. Is that not how that would work? I believe that's a true thing. I kind of didn't read her keeping a secret as her keeping it a secret from her lawyers, but from the adopted family. Oh, it definitely said the lawyers. That's very weird. Because, yeah, they would have to... You'd have to have that chain of evidence that she would has custody of the kid to put the kid up for adoption. So that's weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely said lawyers in the book because I remember writing my recap right. on the reread and thinking, oh, she kept it in secret from the adoptive parents. But when I then went back and read the section after I'd written a little bit in the recap about that, it clearly said the lawyers. And I'm like, that's weird. So we that had to go back and re-edit it. super weird. I think I must have blocked it out because that, no, that would not happen. <laughs> and also, like, obviously, I, I'm i not a parent. I'm uh, deliberately child-free and all that. But could she not have got a third party to make tentative inquiries with like the people who adopted the first baby's lawyers the people who adopted the first baby's lawyers <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> I've adopted the lawyers lawyer. of the first the people who are oh for fuck's sake that's I've a hard sentence a lawyer, a lawyer that deals entirely with baby law every lawyer needs to be adopted <laughs> apostrophes would have made that sentence a mite bit clearer but not much not much it may have been good form to see if you know, she could at least approach those lawyers and go, look, I've got a second baby. Yeah, I've got Matches another one. the first one. Surprise! Would they be up for it? Like, tote, totes free. You know, buy one, get one free. Winner. If I just adopted a, a child under the impression that it was a single child, I mean, for all that, I mean, it might be that they, the, the, the adoptive parents couldn't cope with the second child. True, true. But just given that she was so scared of them finding out because they'd want it. You'd think that that would have been her next step. Yes, let's try to reunite That's the, the logic I was going on. Not necessarily that everyone who has a child wants another one. Right. To be fair, I'm surprised she didn't just dump it in a fucking skip. She was not a very good parent. Well, she, she did have a broken hip. And I can speak from personal experience that when you've just had your hip replaced, you're not really up for luzzing infants into bins like it was all <laughs> i could do to make a cup of tea and you know get to the bathroom in time those were like where i was at as it when i was recovering that's, that's true fair. infant loving not really there yet i'm glad that uh sam's parents didn't know because that's yeah 
I mean, obviously it's not a secret adoption. Both kids knew they were adopted, but it just falls under that kind of trope where it's the secret family. I hate that so much because it's such a shitty way to treat your kids that I really love that Sam's parents are honestly shocked that there's this other kid, this brother out there that I really liked. And of course that I hated the other brother's family for being shitheads. I think I agree with that. I do think that, I mean, they did say that they were going to tell Sam when he was old enough. Sorry, they were going to tell David when he was old enough. Is that a trope that is annoying? Yes. I, I mean, <laughs> deeply. Okay, I don't read much adoption fiction, so I uh, it's not something that I can sort of hang my hat on. Well, I don't either because it's so annoying to me as an adopted person. <laughs> fair, fair. I mean, Eleven is old enough to know. It absolutely is. True. Talking about stuff that I don't read much of. I mean, I don't read much horror. I read bits, but it's it's mainly I don't read teen horror shall we say i read stephen king and stuff like that the big books of of the genre shall we say but you are going for gone later yes i am yeah yeah yay so so how did this stand up against other sort of teen horror because i enjoyed it but i i couldn't really compare it to anything else i wouldn't wouldn't be able to say yes i enjoyed this it reminded me of point horror or it reminded me of whatever So I had no frame of reference. I just knew that it was weird and I liked it. Well, I've always said that these are better than point horror because, first of all, they actually have supernatural in them, whereas point horror is like, ooh, Martha's being haunted by the ghost of the dead girl who used to live in her bedroom and was murdered on her 18th birthday. And it's not. It's it's always Martha's best friend because Martha's a fucking bitch and she deserves it. But that's plot line of trick or treat in case you were wondering so i really like these because they actually do deliver on the supernatural but also the point horrors that i read and even the nightmares and other things like that they're all very formulaic which is they open with a 16 to 18 year old girl home alone because her parents have fucked off to europe for two weeks and something scary happens to her and she starts to get stalked so it kind of gets tiresome but because these embrace the supernatural they're allowed to tell a different story so it isn't the wakefield's best friend stalking them to make them think that there's a ghost haunting them i think it's on par with some of the really good point horror-esque books Uh, it's better than a lot of them especially the earlier ones which were i think both tied down to not really being allowed to have supernatural plots uh, but also kind of limited in how long they could be and what they could do with them because it was kind of a new imprint more or less but it definitely falls in with some of the best of uh, rl stein's fear street or some of christopher pike stuff not as gory as pikes can be or as uh, kind of twisted weird but similar in tone it feels like it kind of splits the difference between goosebumps and the younger horror crowd and up into point horror in really good ways like there's excellent creepy writing like i mentioned earlier and some really fun supernatural scenes that you might not have gotten elsewhere so i like it i thought it would have fit in well with some of that yeah i mean that's good to know because i enjoyed the creepy writing and the which at first i i thought were very sort of like shoehorned in it's like this is a scary book so here's a scary scene where liz walks past the scary house or, or whatever but it did build well and one thing i really liked about the way it was written not so much the content because i do take your point of about the content of this was actually scary supernatural rather than scary stalkers or people and nothing supernatural. But the actual tone of it was when they were doing the usual Sweet Valley stuff. So they have a party in Sweet Valley or they'll sit in the unicorner and talk about the unicorns. They'll talk 
they were all talking about the scary stuff or reincarnation and stuff like that. So I thought, even though there were scary set pieces, which were, this is a super chiller, we must have scares. The Sweet Valley stuff also had the undercurrent of scariness through it, which I found charming. I like that too. And I kind of wish we saw more of that in the other books. It was a lot of fun. Weird, again, like some of the just uh, everyone suddenly believing in reincarnation. It just, in some ways, felt like it came out of nowhere, which I guess it did because it's uh, not really something that we touched on in other Sweet Valley books necessarily. But it was fun and it made them seem more interesting as characters. I was just going to say about the reincarnation. That came hot on the heels of a Kent Kellerman movie. And I will say that the unicorns are very suggestible if a hot guy pitches it. That's fair. I also think it's very much like the way they treated the bikeathon in the in Lower Strikes Back, because it was a case of what's this? Mr. Davis has a picture of a bike on his desk. Everybody's talking about bikes, and we're gonna have a bikeathon, and we're gonna be cyclists. And then all of a sudden, it was like, can't be asked. Fuck bikes. And then they moved away from it. And that's why I can sort of accept all the talk being about reincarnation for three days. That's fair. And then next week, all the talk's going to be about donuts. <laughs> whatever Doug's point about them being very susceptible reminds me kind of of how they suddenly bought in that nora was a witch way back in book ah, yes. three or whatever haunted house the haunted so, house yeah that i guess the they zombies are kind of and everything. susceptible to things yeah fair. well i was actually just gonna bring up that book but not for that reason i was gonna say how many we we need to count up how many haunted houses there are in Sweet Valley, because I'm led to believe that it's a very desirable area to live. I mean, everyone except for Sophia Rizzo and her family are, you know, upper middle class. Everyone's doing frightfully well. So why are there so many creepy, haunted, abandoned old mansions knocking about? Because we've barely scraped the surface, my friends. We, there are more to come. To be fair, the Burgundy houses that are bad, <laughs> they do still live there. Yes, that is true. It just looks creepy. Uh, I will. Uh, the McCandy House is actually on their street as well. I'm pretty sure that the Sophie, uh, that the Rizzos live in a suburb of Sweet Valley that is just technically in the catchment area for Sweet Valley Twins, uh, Sweet Valley Middle School. They'll be like, "Yes, we live on the, the end of the bus route, <laughs> right at the right at the back, where every everywhere smells faintly of wee." <laughs> I was just going to quickly say I read a fanfic like years and years ago. Uh, can't remember who it was by, can't even remember the plot, but it did refer to the white trash area uh, where like the Rizzo's or Betsy Martin and people like that lived as Valley Heights <laughs> because it sounded wow. white trashy. <laughs> but when Sweet Valley Confidential and the Sweet, Sweet Life came out, Jessica actually has a condo in Valley Heights and it's incredibly desirable. And I'm just <laughs> oh, like, ah, someone called that years ago and you got it wrong. The gentrification of Valley Heights. <laughs> That's actually fair. That could have been what yeah. happened. <laughs> we kind of mentioned this in one of our last podcast episodes. We were talking about uh, the track competitions and stuff, but have we ever had confirmation that there's another middle school in Sweet Valley before? Well, we haven't, but... And obviously we can't take this as canon for twins, but once it happens, it will have always been correct. Whatever happened, happened, I guess, to quote Lost, which I finally finished watching. At the end of Sweet Valley Twins, I believe everything gets rezoned and the twins actually end up in a completely different school for junior high. 
maybe Wing can explain to us what the difference between middle school and junior high is or whether they have any year overlaps or anything like that or as far as I understood it and correct me if I'm wrong because I know fuck all about your school system middle school then goes straight into high school because if Janet Howell is 13 and she's eighth grade Stephen's 14 and he's a freshman so that that kind of implies that it goes middle school high school so what's junior high that does imply that and actually it generally you either have a middle school or a junior high my uh educational system where i went to school actually did have both a middle school and a junior high though weirdly enough uh for us i mean it is unusual but for us it was up through fifth grade you were in elementary school and we had a bunch of elementary schools then there was only one middle school one junior high and one high school so in order to fit people in the buildings it's my understanding that that's part of why they split it up so instead of having four years at the high school we were there the last three years uh that we had two years in junior high before that and then three years in middle school before that so instead of trying to cram sixth seventh and eighth in one building and then ninth tenth eleventh twelfth in another building they split it up to make room and in fact it's since had to expand the high school so for a small town it does have a pretty big school system so i guess that might be what's happening with sweet valley but i have never gotten the impression that it's really big enough to have another public school and maybe the one that danny goes to isn't a public school but that's definitely not clear his parents are scientists so possibly you're correct on that that he paid for his edu they paid for his education but then you'd really worry about them not picking up the dyslexia actually no i've been in this book the twin goes to a different school ah is his name david did i get no, it was right? the david, same as david yes, yes. sorry yeah, sorry yeah uh david so i i thought daddy moved into sweet valley not as he did, yeah. School. That's true, yeah. David yeah. Uh, goes to a different middle school than the tr the Wakefield twins do, and I just was not under the impression that his family was sending him to a private school. And if there is a private school, why Lila's not there? Yeah, I think we've had this before. We yeah, had that's this what I found yeah. weird. Is suddenly there's these extra schools, and Sweet Valley's always been described as kind of small. So I guess as it gets closer and closer to being a suburb of LA, it, it's going to grow in size just automatically yeah, i think that we we have we haven't had mentioned um actual confirmation that there's a another school another middle school however one thing we have had is lots of sports competitions the, i had the tetris music whenever i have to wait for something oh, <laughs> anyway my brain uh -huh, just supplies yes. on hold music for real life useful so um i was saying yes um Although we haven't had specific mention of a, another middle school in Sweet Valley, we have had a number of times where there have been track meets or there have been sports competitions where they must be competing against someone. Usually they'd be out of town, like the next city over or whatever, not within the same town necessarily. Though, I mean, it could be okay. here, but that's not generally how it breaks down in smaller towns. Well, how big is a small town? How, how big are these schools? Because I know that f there were basically primary school is is middle is middle school for us really no it's not in the universe of sweet valley middle school runs from the age 12 to age that um 11 12 13 isn't it and then 14 for high school okay well i thought that was younger i thought it was younger because they're in grade six is there a fifth grade there is 
at, at their middle school, I don't know. That's their elementary school, isn't it? I thought my elementary school was like four grades or... No, well, it must be something because remember in the disability book, they, for some reason, the school below them would be involved in their sports day or at least one of the grades from the school below them. I remember picking holes in that, going, who the fuck made that up? Why drag the kids over from elementary school for half a sports day? Was that actually from the school, though, or was it just from a smaller grade? From the same school system, but definitely a separate school. It's believable that the split between elementary and middle school is fifth grade is elementary and sixth grade is middle school. So 12, 13, 14, 15, around in there, uh, probably more 12 to 14 uh, would be your age range for their middle school. And I just want to say, when we get to Sweet Valley High, their rival school is Big Mesa, and it is close enough for them to frequently run into each other at the Dairy Burger and then for Todd Wilkins to punch people because he hates people from Big Messer talking to Elizabeth. But I believe, and I can't remember where I read it and it's really annoying me, I believe there is reference somewhere in the twin series to Big Messer Middle School. So possibly that's where he goes. But that would be a different school district. Just going back to the amount of schools in a place. Sure. Um, in Leeds, which is obviously a city. Right. We have 15 high schools. Wow. And that's just, that's Leeds. I mean, I know that in, in Birkenhead, where we were a town, or in the Whittle, a small peninsula of, of like interconnected towns, we had, I'd say, about the same. In my hometown, there were seven high schools, six of which were public, which uh, for Americans, I mean private. And I know high schools are different. I mean, we our middle school to high school, a middle school, I think, is partly what we'd call secondary school or maybe partly what we'd call junior school, um, primary school. And I know that, for example, in my small, small town of like Eastham, which I think we could probably fit five of in Sweet Valleys, there were at least four or five primary schools. Oh, here's a thought. When, Wing, when you get to the end of, like, each school section, do you have a choice of where you can go to school? Because when we got to the end of primary school, we chose our school. We had to take something called the 11 plus, which is basically a comprehension test to show how smart you were. If you passed, you got to go wherever you wanted. If you failed, you could only go to comprehensives. And if you were rich, you could pay someone to say that you passed and go to a comp- um, a grammar school, uh, which is what happened at my school. Several people f- failed and uh, pressure was put on them. And it turned out, oh, we marked them wrong. They passed. Your your kid is smart enough for grammar school. Damn. Uh, no, it's all based on where you live or if you're paying a fee to go somewhere. So like sometimes there'll be a charter school or a private school, or if you move out of district, you could sometimes pay a fee to keep your kid in the same school. But generally it's based on where you live. Because that's like major stressful at the end of primary school, or it is for someone like me who has social anxiety. Because all of a sudden you're going to a brand new school and none of your friends are going with you. 
like when I started secondary school, I knew one person who was four years older than me. She was the last person to go to that school. So this is possibly why Raven and I are coming at this with such confusion. Mm -hmm. In this, so I want to just look at St. Louis. So St. Louis County, it looks like they have about a million people as of 2015. And there are around 30 high schools for a million people. Okay. I don't know how that compares to your 15-something high schools for various places. There were 1,309 people in my high school, including the sixth formers. There were, I'm sorry, there were how many? 1,309. In the smaller towns, you definitely don't see that. Each year had six uh, houses, and each class would have been about 30 people. Do we ever see how many kids are in their graduating class, either when they leave middle school or when they go to high school? I haven't read that far, and continuity is not a big thing. As I've said, Ellen Reitman doesn't make it to high school. Oh, sure. I'm just uh, looking for numbers if they had it, but I wonder if that's in there. It doesn't actually matter. I don't know why we're so (laughs) hot on this. This is true. One thing I'd like to say before we round up on this book, I really enjoyed the cantankerous and obstructionist adults in this book yes it was so good. <laughs> they were so entertaining the librarian was my personal favorite who was massively jobs with them wouldn't let sam into the library either two minutes past closing or 20 minutes before they opened and was just like no despite elizabeth's pleas and despite sam going we won't be long it's really important she's like the library closes at five. The library closes at five. The library closes at five. That's really good. That's the thing with working in, in public jobs like that. You are literally paid until five. So that means if a member of the public is still swanning around at ten past six, that's just your free time being wasted. You're not being paid for it. You're preaching to the Fuck choir, em. sister. I, I agree entirely. It's just something that I didn't expect to come out of Sweet Valley. Because the kids always get their way. And there was that wonderful bit when they phoned the marina, when Elizabeth phones the marina to try and stop the the um, the Barton's boat, which has got David on it, which is obviously sailing into the fateful storm that will, have, uh, will kill him without ghostly intervention. And she phones the marina and she's like, hello, I, I, we need to stay. Can you stop the Barton's boat? Pause. I'm Elizabeth Wakefield. Wakefield, W-A-K-E-F-I-E-L-D. Look, it doesn't matter who I am. I'm just there going, <laughs> fantastic. You're so used to getting your own way. Someone at the other, other end is just going, who the fuck are you? And it's just perfect. The, I thought that Jamie Suzanne was doing this entirely, entirely with the series in mind and was like, yeah, fuck these, these young people idiots they're not getting their own way this time just wonderful i really did enjoy that it was great to see it and kind of realistic especially the neighbor that shuts them down and won't even answer the door like yes not every neighbor is super friendly and willing to chat with everyone all the time i like that i am that grumpy neighbor me too oh yeah well my hashtag life goal is to be the scary old lady you know when the kids kick a ball in in your back garden i mean possibly you guys don't do this because you just have acres and acres of land in England, you have to knock on the door and say, can I get my bowl back? And in every road, there is a scary old witch who nobody has the nerve to knock on the door. Hashtag life goals, I want to be that woman. You're halfway there already. 
I'm dying my hair grey. I just... <laughs> I'm going to be mad as a hatter and I can't wait. Okay, well, um, I think we've all discussed this book rather roundly and we all enjoy it, which is great. Anyone got anything to say on this book? I'll take that as a no. Shall we move on to the glory that is Bleak Valley? Listeners can't see this, but there was a look of panic that crossed both mine and Wing's face here. So we're hoping Raven's got something by the looks of it. So, Bleak Valley for this book. Any thoughts? I liked it too much to Bleak Valley, to be perfectly honest. It's such a fun, supernatural edition. I I just, no, I'm not doing it. Okay. I have nothing. Okay. Um, how about they, the, the new twins, Sam and David, that could be, you know, a usual a fantasy for Bleak Elizabeth, where she discovers, or she wishes that she could discover that she has a secret brother, or sorry, a secret sibling, an actual, not like a half-sister or a half-brother, like the sibling that we have at the moment in our Bleak Valley scenario. Actual Jessica instead of an imaginary Jessica. Yeah, yeah. Someone who has shares all the same thoughts that she has. Someone who has, they both have a dog called Terry. They both, their favourite film is both Galaxies of Doom or whatever the favourite film of Sam and David were, was. And the whole story about the kid dying at sea, maybe she sees herself as maybe Matthew, who is the kid that couldn't be saved. That's interesting. She's future-proofing. She's going to come back and save a later version of Elizabeth from the Wakefield combat, so. uh, compound. Oh, I like that. Also, that's interesting to make up for the fact that there was that, we kind of talked about there being that excitement that when the step-sibling or whatever finally showed up, uh, or the half-sibling or whatever we've made it out to be, and that it went so terribly wrong so here she's wishing for another chance at that, like someone who understands her versus sides with the adults and abuses her. That's interesting. And also at the end of the thing, the twins, the new twins get a house. That's true. Also, one of the twins' parents knows that there's another twin, and I think that's uh, Bleak Elizabeth's resentment at Alice and Ned because, you know, they make her life miserable and it's not entirely implausible that they wouldn't keep a secret twin a secret because let's face it that poor kid is living under the stairs nobody even knows she she exists much less a theoretical twin yeah yeah do you think there is a secret sibling also under stairs somewhere perhaps in the alice's former house like with her previous family do you think there were a secret children there or a secret child there so she's maybe maybe even a, a, a twin maybe even a twin well, when you said that, I did wonder if you meant just somewhere else in the house. Oh, well, that too, depending on how big the house is, I guess. Yeah, that's 
because we do talk that Elizabeth Bleak Valley Elizabeth goes around and cleans and does stuff like yeah. that. So, but she's not allowed upstairs. That's you know, true. she's not allowed in all parts of the house. That's true. I don't think the the image I have of Bleak Valley Ned and Alice will be able to keep it together enough to have more than one. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. true. Uh, maybe she sees herself as the secret twin. Oh, that's maybe. Maybe because of the the sibling that she has gets to go out and have a normal life and she's hidden away. So maybe she sees herself and, and she'd like to be reconciled with the sibling and have a proper relationship. That ties into your she's the one that doesn't get to escape. She's the one that doesn't survive too. Like uh, one of the twins was adopted out with in the Sweet Valley version. One of the twins is adopted out uh, without knowing anyone really knowing about the other one. So that is the one that escapes. That's the one who gets to have a real life and survive and save the day. And Elizabeth's the one that's left behind and hidden and secret and basically lurking around graveyards like a ghost. Yeah. That's the one we also don't get a point of view from as well, because it's all Sam's point of view. I don't think we get anything from David, do mm-hmm. we? I don't no, think we so. don't, no. Yeah, that makes sense. If she's projecting the sibling onto Sam. She'd be more interested in Sam. That's why he gets more screen time. Right. Yeah. Because he's the one that's free. I like that. Yeah. Bizarrely as well, he's also the one who's just arrived back at Sweet Valley. That's true. Whereas she's lived there all her life. Sweet in Valley the always sucks you back in. Yeah. No one's safe. Sam's the one who really wants to be twinny twins as well. Because there's a bit where um, Sam's feeling a bit down because he said he was telling, yeah, he was telling David about whatever he'd found out at the library. And David was just like, yeah, should we put the wrestling on or whatever? And Sam was like, but this is really interesting to me and you're my twin. So why why isn't it interesting to you? Yeah, I'd forgotten that bit. Yeah. Liz might really be seeking uh, someone who desperately wants to know her and desperately wants to have things in common with her because nobody does. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But she'll be more receptive than David, obviously. David was how it's done wrong, whereas Bleak Elizabeth would do it right if her magic sibling turned up. I want to skip just kind of real quick briefly back to Sweet Valley because I forgot about that too. I really liked how that was a, a subtle way to show that twins are look alike but are different versus the 5,000 times we're told twins look alike and are different. I liked that it was kind of, they were different and here's just this example of it versus a list of how they're different. Yeah. 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 Although I do like the fact that Raven uh, did a poem. Oh, right. I mean, (laughs) it's always entertaining in the recap, just not the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If Team Grapplegate had uh, done a poem. I mean, I don't know for certain that that they did this but it falls in the timeline so i'm gonna go with yes cool well if that if that is the case and team grapplegate did do this then this is a a big thumbs up for this book and it's the first of their books that i've properly enjoyed really really enjoyed so may it long continue indeed yes well we've got a a good surge coming up um I'm very excited because we're starting to get into the books that I've been looking forward to for a year now, over a year. The books that you've been listing for almost a year as well. That's true. Shut up, Raven. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going away, I'm afraid. Okay, so if we finish with Bleak Valley, I thought that was quite a a decent Bleak Valley discussion this week, quite in-depth. 
Should we move on to what we thought of the books overall? Yes. And we can we can rate them. Okay, so um, we have five categories of ratings for our books. Uh, the first one is stupendous. The second one is good. The middle one is meh. Then we have bad. And at the bottom we have kill it with fire, which I think also needs hand gestures like stupendous has. Probably does. So our thoughts on that. Personally, I will place this as a good book. I, th- I really did enjoy it. Bizarrely, I enjoyed it more when I recapped it than when I first read it. Because I don't know why. It just, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, this is different. I like it, but it's a bit weird. And there were things that annoyed me, like Elizabeth was just quite annoying in most of it. Going, oh, let's play a prank on Lila, but let's only do it for 20 seconds, because if we do it for longer, then she might cry. And yeah, she does. She does at the end, which is fine. But um, yeah, Elizabeth just annoyed me for a lot of it. So I think that well, on the first read came over more. But when I was recapping it, I was like, right, okay. I went into the recap thinking, okay, here's what I thought of it. And by the end of the recap, I was like, no, I didn't think that. I actually thought this. I was picking out so many fun lines and scenes and commenting on how much I enjoyed various parts of it that it it's definitely a mid to high good overall. Yeah, well, I remember you saying to me, like you were tippy-tapping away on your on your computer and a little head popped up over the screen and Raven went, you know what? I think I like this book a lot more than I first thought. Yep. While we're on me, I'm also going to put it in the good category. I, I enjoyed it. I like the fact that there's supernatural. I like the fact that we've got to the supernatural because I've been promising wing that for 14 months and it's, it had to show up sooner or later. Um, not the best super chiller there is but um i did enjoy it and yeah anytime there's actual ghosts is a massive win it's a solid good for me too it might have actually made it into stupendous uh except for the fact that i was really so deeply annoyed by the whole cooking dinner thing over and over and over not that (laughs) the kids are kicking uh not that the kids are helping out by cooking dinner, but the fact that once again, Elizabeth has decided it's a good idea to sign up to do something with Jessica. And then Jessica fucks off and doesn't do it because of the unicorns usually. And then, uh, then Elizabeth wonders, why is this happening? Why does my twin do this? She's been doing this for your whole fucking life, I'm sure. Just ah, stop. Stop making those decisions. That really annoyed me. Otherwise, this book is great. <laughs> I will make one comment on that. I agree with everything you said. It was an annoying thing, that little C-plot, shall we say. There was one part of it which I actually enjoyed, which was the time where, I think it was the the second or the the third time, or whatever it was, before Jessica got to do the cooking herself and made everyone cheese sandwiches. But um, Elizabeth was making Jessica's favourite meal, and then Jessica swanned in late because they'd been mocking Mr. Bowman at the mall, and they 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 simply had to watch him pick out his ties. And then... She was like, oh, oh, never mind. I'll cook next time. Um, I can't stay, though. Uh, I've got to go to Lila's. She's got me cooking tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was taking the dickery to a whole new level. That was, I was like, Even Jessica yeah. was like, but I'm cooking your favourite meal. And you're get- we're meant to be cooking this, and you're going to Lila to cook. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Just out of interest, can you remember what Jessica's favourite meal is? Getting your meatballs. That's three. Three in a fucking row. This must be Team Grapplegate because, as I've said, I've just prepped the next books um, 
and read read them through and Jessica's favorite meal is mentioned in two of the three that I've just binge read over the week and it was spaghetti and meatballs and so I'm taking that as a sign as it's team Grapplegate because other Jamie Suzanne's probably wouldn't do that I mean I think our last Jamie Suzanne was pretty good and she'd have done it internally for her own but possibly she wouldn't have correctly guessed what team Grapplegate did so Maybe if we dig deeper into Team Grapplegate's finances at the time, maybe they just bought shares in some pasta sauce company. <laughs> and they're like, spaghetti and meatballs, get it in all our books. So people think that it's the best food ever. We'll be millionaires. It is actually my favourite meal, so maybe it worked. But are they giant meatballs? <laughs> no, no. No. We, we have our, uh, eventually run out of those, so Dad. that's okay. Sad panda. <laughs> okay, so a resounding good from all three of us, which is nice to see. Because we've had a big run of meh, and Dove now assures us that we're on for a big run of good. So, excellent. I'm looking forward to it myself. Me too. Yeah. The next few books are going to be fun. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, that was the Super super Chiller number two, The Ghost in the Graveyard. I personally enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it. And I hope you all enjoyed the podcast. So, until next time, I will say goodbye. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sweet Valley Online podcast number 19, The Ghost in the Graveyard, recorded on the 8th of February 2018. You can access all our past recaps and podcasts at Sweet Valley Online, a member of the nostalgicbookshelf.com network. Check us out on facebook.com forward slash Sweet Valley Online or Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. He can be contacted at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com for all your own musical needs. We can be found on Twitter under Sweet Valley underscore for Dove, Devil's Elbow Pod for Wing, and Bookshelf underscore Raven for yours truly. Next week we'll be talking about Sweet Valley Twins number 41, The Twins Get Caught. Be sure to join us on the 2nd of March. Until then, don't be afraid of no ghosts. Ghosts.